Before we get into today's episode with Candace and Maggie, I've just got some announcements. As a lot of people are going home for the holidays, I hope everyone can find some peace and relaxation with your loved ones. Let's be real, 2021 has been a hard one. The year before that wasn't much better. But as we near 2022 and get to spend some downtime with family and friends and just have a chance to breathe, I just want to tell you, you're doing great. Not every day is easy, but as long as you're putting one foot in front of the other, at whatever pace is best for you, that's good enough. So, as this year closes out, I want you to know that myself and Connor here at Outer Rim Reads are thankful for each of you for giving this show a listen and letting us be a part of your year. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. I'm going to eat a lot of rum cake. I hope you have your favorite holiday desserts, too. I want to give a big thank you to our patrons, the fantastic people who make this show possible. You all keep me going. I really am so grateful for each one of you. As always, I want to give a huge shout-out to our Lothaltier patron, Simon. If anyone would like to join our family and get access to bloopers, a monthly bonus show, entry into our bi-monthly merch giveaway, and more, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Speaking of our merch giveaway, this month's winner is Jared. We'll be in touch soon to get you that merch item of your choice. Now for our searcher reading segment. Last episode's question was, Chancellor So made the difficult and controversial decision to close the hyperspace routes around and beyond Hetzal until they can find out what happened to the legacy run. Did she make the right decision? Or is she needlessly condemning the affected Outer Rim worlds to suffering until then? On Discord, Doug said, I think it would have been irresponsible to allow them to operate as usual without understanding what happened. The main challenge was to continue to supply those systems, and her ability to do that has to be balanced with the potential danger of reopening. Thanks for that response, Doug, and listen in for our next question at the end of this episode. Now let's get into chapters 21 and 22 of Light of the Jedi. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 48 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we'll be talking about chapters 21 and 22 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by Maggie Lovett from Let's Talk About Star Wars, Your Money Geek and Collider, as well as Candice Kaw of The Geeky Waffle. Maggie and Candice, how are you both doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, we've, we've got some good chapters uh, to talk about. Uh, I know that I think Maggie had, uh, you, you had requested this one yeah. uh, personally back in the day when I was reaching out to guests and, you know, uh, about uh, coming on to talk about Light of the Jedi. But before we even talk about, you know, Marky on Row and chapters 21 and 22, for the listeners, could you give them an idea about where each of you come from with your Star Wars fandom and then specifically how you came across Light of the Jedi? 
I'll go first, I guess. <laughs> okay, I was like, who's going first? You talk first, I talk first. first. I know, that's exactly yes, what was exactly. going on. <laughs> I have been a Star Wars fan since I was uh, six years old, and I saw The Phantom Menace in theaters. With my, my father had taken me to see it, and I was like so not excited because I was like, ugh. I don't want to have to sit through a movie I don't even care about. It's like some movie that like old people watched back in the day. Um, yeah, little little did I know that my entire life in the future would revolve around Star Wars. I have not looked back since. In terms of how I came across Light of the Jedi, it was sent to me by Disney Books to read ahead of release. And I think these were probably my most highly anticipated project outside of some of the new like Disney series coming up in the next couple of weeks and the next year or so. I was just really excited about Project Luminous when it was first announced and really excited about the slate of authors that they had. Uh, so I really could not wait to get my hands on this book and the entire era has blown me away. But yeah, Light of the Jedi, I, you know, I actually had a lot of trouble getting into it at first. I was really nervous. Um, about the first, I'd say, third of the book, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I was like, I was nervous. Like, I was liking it, but I was like having a really hard time relating to any of the characters or getting that emotional feel that like I was looking for. Um, and it actually wasn't until Test of Courage, which is, which is the next one chronologically, that I, I really felt the characters. And then there is the kids book that has pictures of the characters and revolves around kind of a major part of this book in the, the last third of it. Uh, and that's when I really felt and kind of understood the characters. And then I went back and reread it and I was like, okay, yes, I now can visualize these characters. I have a real feel for them. And I think that was just the issue. Like these are brand new characters in a brand new era, far removed from anything that we know. And it just took me a little while to like fully get into it. But it was actually around this part, I think, once Martian was really like introduced that I was like, okay, here's a type of character that I already like. Um, I love a good bad boy in a helmet. <laughs> and I think that's when I was like, okay, there are enough like familiar tropes and like tones that I can kind of connect to. Um, so that's my, my long winded answer for how I got into a lot of the Jedi. I'm similar to Mackie in the regards that 1997, they re-released the special, well, they did the special editions of the OG trilogy. And my father took me, and I remember even being a small kid being like, I'm going to humor the old man. This is an old movie. He takes me to, like, Disney movies all the time. I'll just, like, go. I'll take a nap if I have to, if I'm super bored. Because, like, my little sister refused to go. And I was like, fine, I'll do this for him. And then by the end, he's like, you know, there's two more movies. And I was like, what? And we went to like the VHS rental because that's back in 1997. And I was like, we're getting both of these. And yeah, did not look back. We downloaded the Phantom Menace trailer on his computer and we would watch it every single day just to like super hyped. This is like before, you know, YouTube and everything. And I don't even know how he downloaded it. But yeah. And yeah, Light of the Jedi, uh, just the whole High Republic is very well hyped and marketed uh, through the Star Wars social media that I was like, I need to know. And also, I'm just very scared of being spoiled about things. So I'm like, I have to read this all now before like there's going to be a tweet or something on Tumblr and like a twist is going to be ruined for me. I've had to uh, live with that fear for the past like, <laughs> almost year. I don't know how year. you've done it. 
I've just become really good at scrolling past any kind of buzzwords from the High Republic. But you know, this uh, I think this part of the book, especially uh, especially coming off of the roller coaster ride that was the first, you know, eighteen chapters of <laughs> Light of the Jedi, I think this kind of has started to settle into a more traditional pace of a book. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of agree with uh, Maggie with what you were saying about relating to the characters initially, because I think, you know, with how quickly the chapters jumped back and forth in the first part of the book, it kind of was hard to have any meaningful development in some ways. But, you know, in the, in the last chapters and, you know, finding out, you know, uh, more about Lena So and her vision for the Republic. And then here, especially in chapter 21, which I think is the meteor of the two chapters today, where we find out a lot about the Nihil. This is really settling into a more traditional pace of a book that I'm that I'm used to, and it can really soak in a lot of the info um, easier. So I guess before we even talk about chapter 21, I'll give my summary, and then we'll dive into the details. In the Great Hall of the Nihil, in an unknown realm of space, Pan Etya, Lorna D, and Kasav, the three Tempest Runners of the Nihil, lead a feast to celebrate their gains from the Abdalis system. However, one of the freighters they attempted to scavenge from was lost in their attack. The Tempest Runners identify the crew that was responsible for the mishap, and to the elation of the onlooking crowd, one of them is forced to pay the price. Sitting somewhat removed from the Tempest Runners is the Eye of the Nihil, Markion Rowe. He reflects on his role in the organization and soon calls for a private meeting with the other three. They discuss the Nihil's resources and the need to slow their raiding as the Republic is on high alert after the Great Disaster. Finally, Lerna D approaches Markion about a new job on the planet Elfrona. So, this chapter like I had said earlier, was it, it is very heavy about de- kind of developing our picture and our mental image of who the Nihil are, what they want, uh, you know, because really up until now they've been kind of a mystery. You know, they showed up at the end of part one, obliterated the uh, the freighters, you know, leaving Abdalis, you know, really horrific images, but, you know, kind of that's all we... It's all we really got from them, you know, kind of, uh, you know, name dropped and then boom, they show up a bunch of carnage and destruction. And then this chapter, we really start to learn about them as a group or as multiple groups kind of working together. You know, they're, as we'll discuss, it's not, there's not really a lot of coherence among kind of the organization, but, you know, they, you know, they, they work towards a common cause. But, you know, before we talk about the details, what were both of your impressions on chapter 21 and our introduction to, I think, the main, the main, the main man of the, of the show, of the hour here, uh, Markion Rowe? What did you think about chapter 21? Maggie, go for it. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, like, I, I love a good villainous character. And there was enough in this section that I was like, I actually think I messaged Arzu because I had the book. Uh, she's another host on the Geeky Waffle Network. And I think I messaged her and I was like, there's a character you are going to love. Like, I just, I knew based off our, our very similar taste. I was like, yeah, this is this is going to be our main man in this this new era. And I can't remember if it's in 21 or 22, but there's a bit about his family history. And I was like, this is, this is all I need. Like, these crumbs, I, I love them. I really like the organization, like how they were describing 
who does what and how like who's in charge and stuff like that I was like thinking of like a business like chart of like oh who's VP of sales you know kind of thing <laughs> the way they were describing I was like wow these bad guys are organized <laughs> yeah. I mean you know just just because you've mentioned that you know we you know with uh with Panettia Lorna D and Kasav uh who would you kind of if there was this business structure what department would each of each of them be the head of <laughs> I don't know. it's all destruction <laughs> all this yeah, the department of destruction, of destruction. <laughs> oh, gosh. lorna d's definitely like oh gosh like a really like hard selling like ball buster <laughs> like you know like those certain business women that are just like no nonsense like this is how we are doing things i feel like that's so too. she's like cfo or something be. you know oh yeah definitely cfo cfo <laughs> Which one's the one who's always like wanting to get a good story? Was that uh, I think Panetta yeah, was the Panetta. one who like always has to has like the first, first word you know, and the everything first like that. Word He's marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you know we do start out chapter twenty one in uh, you know kind of where the subtext of the chapters were in the first part with the countdown and all that. Here we are in, quote, no space. Uh, so already we kind of get this, uh, you know, bad guy secret hideout vibes, uh, you know, somewhere unknown, like an undisclosed location. And we are introduced to, you know, Pan Etya, Lerna D, and Kasav, who are gathered with the Nihil in this, you know, great hall, pretty much amping them up. There's a lot of uh, call and response, you know, who are we, the Nihil, what do we what do we ride? The storm? Who guides us? The eye? I was like, Lord of the Rings? Stauron? What? <laughs> um, but, you know, before we even kind of move, move on to who the camera then pans down to, I don't know, you know, in reading this, I got some like Harry Potter 2 vibes where like they're all unified by a desire to take, kill, and eat. And I thought of the basilisk like, you know, rip, tear, kill. And then they're all gathered in a great hall. I'm like, is this the most ambitious crossover of oh, all God. time? I don't know. <laughs> Are they in space? I was Hogwarts? just excited to hear about death sticks again. Same. <laughs> like, I just have in my notes True. death sticks in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> Obi Wan is here somewhere. <laughs> this is his origin story. This is the Kenobi show that we've been waiting for. <laughs> but, you know, when they do say, you know, the eye with, you know, who guides us, uh, the camera, you know, quote unquote, pans down to someone who is sitting alone on a platform lower than the other three who are called the Tempest Runners. And kind of in this chapter, there's a lot of, you know, rank names and all that that I had to get used to reading uh, for the first time. But uh, the three... Um, Panetya, Lorna D, and Kasav, they are Tempest Runners. And the camera, you know, kind of pans down to the person sitting below them, still on a, on a raised platform, but below them, sitting alone, and we meet Markion Rowe. I'll just kind of give a full disclosure of what I do know about Markion Rowe. I just know, kind of in the marketing of the High Republic, that he is, like, one of the big baddies. Like, that's all that I know. Uh, I, I've seen a cool picture of him with his mask, uh, pretty pretty legit looking. But I just know that he is, you know, kind of with the Night Hill, like, he and they are, like, the bad guys who are, uh, you know, maybe at the, at the focus or that will be at the focus of the Jedi's plight uh, down the line. But I do not know anything else about him. You know, I'll kind of give what we what we're given about him here. I'll kind of talk about that, and then I'll kind of open the floor to to you both. Um, 
you know, he he's looking up at the void above, and he's thinking that the the Nihil are the only ones who know how to get to this kind of base through kind of dangerous hyperspace lanes. Apparently, thanks to the knowledge of Markion and his father before him, and he's reflecting on kind of the energy and the life within this kind of shield dome and then the cold vacuum of space outside of it. And he's thinking, quote, the symbolism was obvious and intentionally so. With the Nihil, all was light and life. Outside, cold, empty death. On one hand, it's kind of like ironic because they just killed a bunch of people in Abdalus, you know, so so the cold, empty, empty death seems to follow them. But also here, just in his initial thoughts, we do get kind of conflicting visions of prosperity between... Markion's vision for what the Nihil bring, you know, light and life, and then the Republic, who say that they do the same. So, like, right off the bat, with this, uh, you know, with the introduction of Markion, we get that tension created between the different visions of the Nihil and the Republic. And I was, it was just a very interesting note to start on with his kind of inner ruminations. Yeah, and that was definitely when I was like, okay, yeah, I think I might be Team Nile. And there's some stuff that happens later in the book, too, just some of his ruminations and thoughts about the Jedi that we see a little bit in chapter 21 as well, when he's reflecting on like his family and stuff that I was just like, finally, we're going to address some of these really interesting, I guess, power struggles feels like the wrong word for it, but this um, back and forth between who is in the right because this is that kind of weird point in the galaxy where a lot of the Outer Rim is now being visited by outsiders and essentially colonized by the Jedi and the Republic. And it's it's interesting that we're finally getting to see those tensions getting explored, because this is something I've, I've always longed for Star Wars to delve into, in, in part because I'm a historian, and that was in real life. That's a, a point of history that I find really fascinating. Um, that first contact and the fallout and how people react to that and seeing it even just hinted at in these early chapters is just really interesting to me. You know, that's something that's really been touched on a few times, especially, I guess, in the last couple of chapters uh, in last episode where the, we really got the, the Republic's vision of how they want to move forward into the Outer Rim. And like you're saying, you know, not, not sugarcoating it at all is, you know, colonizing the outer rim and here you know we're seeing kind of what the pushback could look like especially i think in this chapter we do find out that there are many people who are joining the nihil in kind of uh, in in what they do so it's it's very interesting to see that the the beginnings of the pushback to that colonization we do see instantly that markion has a presence and aura about him uh, and it happens a couple times in the chapters. But when the Tempest Runners had been shouting their calls and responses, Markion speaks quietly. And he says, quote, what do I see? What does your eye see for the Nihil? And then everyone shouts, you know, whatever we want. And, you know, he just nods back to Pan, who continues the show. But it's like this commanding presence, you know, where it just makes him even cooler than the others, where he doesn't have to exert much effort for it but even in like his whisper everyone like I, I could feel like everyone kind of leaning forward to to hear what he was saying and it was just uh, you instantly tell that this this person you know he might be sitting below the others but there is this aura about him that's quite fascinating yeah I I agree completely 
we also do find out, I think, in the description of the Nihil's um, ships in the last chapter was that they all had these like green flames, uh, you know, on their ships. And we do find out here and it's, it's expanded on further on in the chapter that these are path engines, which, uh, you know, there's some kind of navigation device. But we'll touch on that a little bit, a little bit further on. But um, I wanted to get your, your both of your thoughts on there's a contrast here in the description of the Nihil ships to how the Republic ships were described early on. Like I think, you know, back in chapter four, when Avar Chris showed up, where here we get this description that, quote, the Nihil ships looked like armored spiked fists coming to pound you into nothing and harvest your corpse. No curves where a straight line would do. Sharp edges, a lack of overall symmetry. And that brought me back to the description of the third horizon back in chapter four, where, quote, the ship's surface rippled along its frame like waves on a silver sea, tapering to a point with towers and crenellations along its length, like a fortress laid on its side, all wings and spires and spirals. It spoke of ambition. It spoke of optimism. It spoke of a thing made beautiful because it could be, with little consideration given to cost or effort. And, you know, there was that contrast between the vision, uh, you know, kind of Markion's vision for what light and life looks like in the galaxy, according to his view. And then here with the ships, it, it seems very intentional by Charles to kind of create that divide between kind of even in an aesthetic kind of way, it's still a very stark contrast between the descriptions and the images that we get of their ships. And maybe that translates into what the body is represented as a whole. But what did you both think about that? It seemed like a very purposeful distinction from Charles where, you know, there's a lack of overall symmetry with the Nihil and then the Republic is the very, you know, graceful, you know, beautiful because it could be. What did you both think about that? I feel like they're supposed to be like pirates, like space pirates, but to with a little bit of terrorism to the side, <laughs> you know. I know that Cavan has said that they are very Viking-ish. So, yeah. Your, your pirate reference is apt. But it's just like even the way like the Nahi dress compare, they're in armor, they're in masks, while the Jedi are in loose robes and lightly colored, you know. It's all like whoever's a good guy just has the best press, really. That's what it's about. <laughs> The kind of the, the good the good guys look as they should you know the good guys look like the good guys and here it's uh, you know very uh, starkly contrasted to that but I think as we and and I think it'll I mean it, I hope it'll be expanded upon further on in the book as far as you know if the jagged nature of the Nihil's appearance kind of translates into what they want from the galaxy as a whole you know here we found out a lot a lot about their desire to raid and you know have plunder and you know kind of split the share amongst everyone there but I wonder if um, if at least from Mark Yan if we'll find out what he wants out of the galaxy as a whole and not just you know because he there is a very uh, and and we'll we'll touch on this there is a divide between what he prefers out of this organization out of the Nihil and compared to what the Tempest Runners see and want and and do so Panatya is kind of reveling in their success at Abdalis you know where they pillaged five of the six freighters the sixth uh, had blown up I think I, I had forgotten if it uh, it seemed like kind of a self-destruct but we found out here that it was not you know because he's demanding who is in charge of the crew who was assigned to that freighter because they were trying to scavenge everything for themselves and to be able to split the shares amongst everyone there. 
And there's this being called Zagyar who steps forward with his crew. Ultimately, one of his crew had miscalculated their harpoon shot because the, the ships had been literally torn apart. And they had hit a fuel tank instead, and there was, you know, most of his crew had died in that explosion, but Pan says that someone, someone there still has to pay for that mistake. And the crowd starts chanting over and over, pay the price, over and over, you know, as we gather, someone has to die. And I found it very interesting that Markion looks away. Quote, he hated the little pageants Pan and Lorna and Kasav put on, pitting clouds and strikes and storms against one another. First off, I do have to clarify the, for the listeners that clouds and strikes and storms are the the ranks of the Nihil. Um, I definitely had to get used to the terminology there. But here we see how Markion continues to be different from the Tempest Runners and maybe from the Nihil as a whole. It seems that, you know, he's not about the bloodthirst. And it was just a very interesting note that he's just, he's not about that. You know, I don't know if he thinks that he's above it, but it's definitely something that he doesn't vibe with. And I thought that was very interesting for someone who has a lot of influence with the Nihil that he, you know, he's, he's considering what they're doing as just pageants, as just kind of, you know, without real meaning. Uh, and I thought that was very, very interesting to see that distinction between his preferences and those of the Tempest Runners. Yeah, I don't think he's against violence, but yeah, but he, yeah, I think he's just like, oh, these peasants doing these kind of things and just kind of rolling his eyes at it. Yeah, I, I have so many things I want to say, but I don't want to spoil. So <laughs> I was like, I was like sitting here like, I don't know how to answer this or like to comment on this. So pass. <laughs> Yeah, it's also hard to just try to, because everything, like all these books, there's so much to it. It's trying to remember what happened in the beginning of this versus like all of this. Well, we find out that Markion is not, actually not in charge. He just provides the path engines for the Nihil to use. I I thought when I first saw this guy, Markion Rowe, I thought he would be like the leader of and maybe the Tempest Runner's answer to him. But we find out that he's not in charge, you know, and he still gets payouts for when they do use the paths, quote, by the rule of three, but that was all. The eye could see, but the eye couldn't act. The rule of three, I don't, like, it sounds like the rule of two, you know, I don't think that there's any Sith connection, but, you know, either way, I, I did think that it was interesting that he actually doesn't have, you know, any, I don't know if he doesn't have any power, but he doesn't command a Tempest or hold authority to act, but nevertheless, like, what we've gotten in this chapter and what we will get, you know, with a, with a couple of notes moving on is that... His personality seems more like he seems more like like a leader than the others, and maybe maybe at least a manipulator behind the scenes. I'm just like trying to piece together who I think this guy is, and it seems like it seems like he's more of a manipulator from kind of like working behind kind of the show of the other three Tempest Runners. But it's just interesting that he doesn't have power, but at the same time he does and that's that's what we're gathering especially with his interactions with with the three uh in this chapter yeah i think the nile is perhaps one of the more interesting power structures that star wars has delivered to us i know that there are some interesting stuff in the thrawn books but something about the way it's organized and that there's order within the chaos is really interesting to me when Markion kind of 
turns his attention back to what's going on. You know, someone had been cast out into the vacuum and, and, a, and a feast begins. Uh, but he asks the three Tempest Runners to talk. And Kasav, you know, not for the first time, or at least it won't be for the first time this chapter, takes issue. He says, quote, It's a party, Markion. Didn't you hear, Pan? Lots to celebrate. Why don't you just relax? Quote, Markion Rowe stared at the man for a full three seconds before he answered. And I just, like, <laughs> I just love that so much. He knows how to use silence. You know, whether it's him, like, kind of speaking quietly compared to the others or just full on just like, I'm going to wait three seconds and stare at you before I even give you an answer. Just like, I love this, that he knows what he is capable of and knows kind of the the aura around him and he uses it to his advantage. I just like, I love that scene, that that short bit so much. He just like, I'm just going to wait until actually answering. I just moments like that. I'm just like, I can I can get behind this guy. I can get behind this guy. No, he's definitely interesting. <laughs> then they all uh, they all go to a compound after they agree to to talk. And Markion takes his mask off. We don't get a description of his face. You know, it's kind of Maggie, the, the how misty. would you describe it? Henry Cavill, but gray. Henry Cavill, but gray. <laughs> I'm just going to go find a picture of Henry Cavill and just kind of Microsoft paint yeah, uh, his skin gray. <laughs> I mean, because it does, it does say that he has uh, black, like kind of like long black hair. Uh, his appearance, um, let's see, when he when he took off his mask, the kind of the energy in the room changed, and like you he, like you said, he has slate gray skin, wholly black eyes, and a certain angular leanness to his physique. For many of the galaxy species, the features of Markion's people meant predator and. You know, it's just like it's so clear that even though he doesn't have quote unquote power with the Nihil, he actually does. You know, like even if he takes off his mask, the energy changes, the at- the atmosphere changes. And, you know, being described as, you know, as a predator, it's just very fascinating to see kind of the unofficial official you know, leader of like who who actually has the power here, and it just like his, the, even the description of what happens when he took off his mask and the description of his features, it's just very striking. And uh, I think the others know it, and I don't know if they would admit it, but I think it's kind of understood in kind of the subtext that they know who makes things possible for their organization. Yeah, I would agree. He holds all the cards, really, with the paths. Yeah, I mean, as we find out, that's exactly what sets the Nihil apart, of, you know, is is these paths. You know, he's uh, he also ca- kind of casually thinks to himself that he's pretty sure that one of them here uh, killed his dad. I'm like, what? Uh, it's just like, oh, yeah, one of these people in front of me, one, one of them's probably just a murderer of my of my family. Uh, but he just like, he, he kind of passed over that. It's like it seemed very casual, but... Uh, he's he's thinking more here, and it's very interesting. Uh, it was a very interesting note. You know, he doesn't know which one of them did, and that they each have, like, a thousand followers. Quote, he only had one real ally, and she wouldn't be much good in a fight. I'm like, all these nuggets are being dropped here. I'm just like, uh, who? Like, what is happening? Like, okay, one of these people might have killed your dad, and then there's someone that you know who wouldn't be much good in a fight, but there's, like, this mysterious person added in now that I'm guessing will come up later. But 
I thought it was very interesting here that now we also see some motive for revenge. Like, if he does find out who killed his dad, you know, it doesn't seem like the most stable of hierarchies where, you know, right now we have kind of this revenge plot that could take form but it was just such a casual like thing to throw in there but then it could change the dynamic of the group so much that definitely will come back yeah but not on the way hold on to that yeah hold on to that because when i (laughs) was reading that i was like oh yeah i forgot about this part but wait something else and yeah can't (laughs) but wait there's more i can't say anything else (laughs) yeah You've really got us in a bind with these chapters because it's like, yeah, there's so much being set up here, but yeah, that no like comment. comes to a head in the later books. <laughs> I mean, I would hope. I'm I'm guessing because it has been mentioned and also his his one real ally. Like I'm thinking these things will definitely come to uh, come to fruition or at least some kind of payoff moving forward. Because right now the intrigue around this Marquion Row is just like skyrocketed. Uh, I just like I want these answers, but. He basically, he's asking them to lay low, you know, that they're recruiting too many people too quickly, and he only apparently has a finite number of paths, or at least the resource used to make them is is finite. And especially now that the Republic is tightening things up, you know, after what happened with the Legacy run, and bringing the Jedi into it, they can't afford to get caught. And Markion thinks about the Jedi here. Quote, they could tap into something. It wasn't just the Force, it was the Order itself. It gave them a confidence, a structure, a willingness to make choices to serve the larger purpose of spreading light in the galaxy. It made them bold, and made them strong. He was not afraid of the Jedi, but only a fool wouldn't consider them a serious threat. On one hand, he could be reflecting on how that kind of togetherness is very much not what the Nihil are, you know, where it's like these competing, you know, each of the Tempests kind of do their own thing and work together when they need to, but there's not really, it's not the same kind of cohesion as the Order from from what he's thinking of, and maybe he's thinking like kind of a, a shift in mentality could actually do good for the Nihil, but I think what what I took away from that and I, and I wonder what you both think is, you know, he's, he's thinking that some of their true power comes from the order, from the sense of togetherness. And what happens if you take that away? If you take away their sense of togetherness, what that could mean for the Jedi? It's just very interesting that he doesn't really seem very concerned with their ability to wield the Force, but it's this concept of the order that gives them their strength. And I wonder if... He's thinking what could happen if he could just maybe strip that away and what that would mean for for the Jedi. <laughs> this is so I know. I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> How do you do this? <laughs> How do you also not read in advance? Because I don't know. Like, you're going to get to a point where you're going to be like, oh, I got to keep reading. I know that that's been it's been a struggle like I I really had to force myself because especially through part one like I want to know does the great disaster end well like but you know at least in the previous two seasons I had read the book beforehand and I really wanted to to take this one in a different route so I have somehow but uh, (laughs) I realize it's no easy task for Reba because you know exactly if he does that uh, or if that happens but I was really impressed I think it speaks to him as like a villain that you know he's not really concerned with their like the power that they can wield 
it's more of the power that's kind of behind them that kind of unites them that actually is more troubling to him so i don't know it just it really solidifies him as legit if like he's not afraid of them it's just like it's the order that actually is concerning not actually like their ability to you know wield the force it's just uh this marquion row guy is is quite legit he a is a very good introduction for especially a villain to make him so intriguing and have so many layers just up front in one chapter it's like you got me i'm in kind of thing yeah. <laughs> and what's so neat is looking back on this they set up so much with this introduction that has been paid off mm. mm-hmm. i mean i would hope there's a, i would hope there's some there's a really big payoff for him because it seems like he is he's not messing around but i'm glad to hear that you know it just it does seem that he's there to you know i i hate to say like he oh he's there to stay because like you know usually everyone that i've been introduced to in this book has not been there to stay uh there's been, been so much death so but it seems like markian Rowe is going to stick around or maybe in a couple of chapters, Kasav will kill him. I would not be surprised at Charles if he did that, but uh, I'm guessing not. Well, Mag- Maggie's got another member of the Martian Ho, sounds like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> Someone's joining the club. <laughs> Join us. <laughs> I know what I have to do. I don't know if I have the strength to do it. <laughs> no idea. Oh, <laughs> another masked villain. Uh you know, kind of much their, to their displeasure, he does ask them to rein things in in case the Jedi or the Republic find out what they can do. Because right now, they don't really stand a chance against the Republic, even if there is no standing army for the Republic yet. And, you know, after they agree, after he wins the vote, Lorna pitches a job to him. You know, there's this new group in her Tempest. They found this settler family on Elfrona. And, you know, she wants to use some paths to go kidnap them. Apparently, they're well-connected. And we get some clarification on what the paths are, what they can do. He's thinking about how, you know, they are the thing. And Candace, you had you had mentioned this earlier. You know that, that you know he holds these cards, like these are the wild cards that set the Nile apart. Is are these paths? You know that using them, they're able to to travel through hyperspace in ways that others can't. You know, micro jumps, leaps within gravity wells, kind of entering wherever they want and leaving. You know, without having to do all these calculations. But again, that they're a finite resource and. It seems, you know, pretty cool. I, I got some, like, Sith Wayfinder vibes. You know, this thing, like, it, it can kind of navigate these, uh, you know, difficult hyperspace lanes and kind of this secret knowledge. So there's, like, a lot of questions here but and, and a lot of intrigue. But it's just, like, I kind of also want to know what is powering these things. Like, you know... Maybe <laughs> you'll find out. Who knows? Maybe you won't. I don't know. Maggie, change the subject. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> the world may never know. <laughs> what an unbelievable coincidence. Is it Kyber? Is it the Death Star? Let's find it's out. It's the Death Sticks. It's the Death The answer it. was there the whole time. It was the Death Sticks. Guys, I've only got so much. <laughs> You know, they they all leave except for Kasav, who seems to kind of be, you know, maybe not pitted against Markion in this chapter, but there's been a couple of times where he has been the one to speak out against uh, Markion. And he's, you know, he's upset. You know, he, he just accepted a job after telling the others to lay low. And, you know, Markion uh, pretty much tells him to, to suck it up. You know, uh, 
saying that there, you know, that there is a price to pay if basically if if he double crosses Markion, you know, to remember who's holding the cards. But I definitely see the ground being laid for some tension between the two. I don't want to guess that Kasav is the one who killed his dad. But right now, Kasav definitely seems like suspect number one, uh, very at odds. <laughs> I'm so glad that no one can see my face right now. Candace, I don't I'm know trying, how you're doing. I'm coloring my face right now. <laughs> petting the dog. Know? Where's a mask I'm when you need it? the dog and just cover my face. I mean, because Kasav said, like, well, I don't know if he would have killed the dad. Like, <laughs> your hair is now. Is that Chewbacca? <laughs> Chewy. Cousin Ed. <laughs> That's what I used to do when I was a kid. When I did, I was like, I'm not yeah, talking to anyone. In front of face. Going in front of face. Yeah, I don't know. Like he referenced his dad. You know, he said that this is this isn't something that your dad would do. So like, that gives me an idea that maybe Kasav was a friend to Markion's dad, but at the same time, you know, might have backstabbed him. Basically, I don't know. But there's a lot of intrigue here. That is the end of chapter twenty one. Do you both have any kind of, you know, closing thoughts on chapter 21 before we dive into chapter 22? It's just, a, it's a really good chapter to introduce your villains and it is a lot of information. That's what the Light of the Jedi, like, I can enjoy it so much more now than I did the first time around because it was just overwhelming. So going back and reading and be like, okay, well, I get the hierarchy now. I get who these characters are to each other. So it reads better. It just makes more sense in at least my brain. <laughs> so I can give my summary for chapter 22, and then we can talk about what's going on on the planet of choice here, uh, Elfrona. At a Jedi outpost on the planet Elfrona, Bell Zedifar and Loden Greatstorm continue Bell's training to master the Force Fall. Although Bell understands the technique behind the maneuver, he still needs to conquer his fear of it. Jedi Indira Stokes breaks his fall at the bottom of the cliff, and the group head back to the outpost to eat. Many kilometers away, the Blythe family are working on their land, repairing their mining droids. Suddenly, Erica Blythe notices a cloud approaching them. Realizing danger is imminent, she calls for her family to get to safety. When inside their safe house, Erica buys the family some time using remotely controlled delving droids. However, the family runs out of options as the Nihil try to break down their door. Back at the outpost, Loden, Bell, and the other Jedi's meal is interrupted as they receive a distress call to help the Blythes. So this chapter, it's very different change of pace uh, from 21, a lot of info about the Nihil. And now, you know, when we find out in the subtext of the chapter, you know, it we are at the Jedi outpost and Alfrona. And we just heard that that's exactly where Lorna is sending so the new group in her Tempest to go get these settlers. So instantly, we're just like, oh, no, because we know that there's about to be a run in with the Nihil. But... What did you both think about chapter 22? You know, we get a lot of bells at a far load in and then the others and their squad there. Uh, you know, what, what did you think about chapter 22? I really enjoyed it. I love, no, I love Bell. During phase one, like, Loden and Vernestra were my favorite characters. So, Loden, especially like in this chapter, just, you know, 
being that Jedi. We've definitely, uh, you know, if, if it hadn't been confirmed in his chapters from part one, I definitely know that he does things very differently than the traditional Jedi Master, uh, you know, w- would do. And there's a certain certain teaching method. It's got a Qui-Gon Jinn feel there, to him. I, And I think I, I made a note of that. There's, there's you know, a lot of kind of uh, young Juan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn vibes between the two of them. I guess it starts off kind of right off the bat. Loden is asking Bell, you know, what are you waiting for as Bell is peering over the edge of a cliff? So right now we already know that, you know, I think he had said that uh, after they landed on the compound back in part one, he said like, oh, we'll get you do some more practice with falling and I'll throw you off a skyscraper on Coruscant. It'll it'll be all right. It'll be it'll be fine. You'll be good. I just love how like when Bell was describing like it's not quite falling, but it's not quite flying. And I just kept thinking of like Toy Story and it's like. This is falling with style kind of thing that yeah. Buzz and Woody says. <laughs> At least Loden's got the falling with style down. Uh, you know, uh, Belle, <laughs> maybe not so much. <laughs> I also love that Belle is just like, if like Loden murders me, he could talk the Jedi Council like out of charging him. Like, just like, just knowing like Loden's like that, like a charmer or like logical, he could be like, my Padawan just like had an accident. It wasn't my fault. Bye. Sorry, we'll get you another one. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I guess he would have that way with the uh, with with words. Um. Yeah, uh, I just love that. Bell's yes. just saying all this as he's oh, there, there's, the a, there's a whole lot. <laughs> he's just he's just like he's murdering me. <laughs> this is help. it. You know, I guess before before he actually gets, you know, uh, force pushed off the edge, you know, he is reflecting on the various Jedi outposts and how Padawans usually get sent to one of them for like a rotation of their training. And this is where I remember that we have seen the Elfrona Jedi outpost in the Rise of Kylo Ren uh, comic where Bell thought that, you know, there he or he was... Uh, reflecting how there were two massive statues of Jedi flanking the entrance. And I remember seeing that in, in the comic. But there was an interesting, uh, another interesting note that he thought of when he's thinking about these massive statues, that their, their lightsabers are out and that they were wearing, quote, hooded robes of a style that felt like a nod to an earlier era. I looked up the image from the comic of the robe, and they look pretty much the same as in the prequels. You know, maybe it seems, you know, maybe there's only so much difference I can see in a a comic panel, but I wonder if that's a nod to how the Jedi in the prequels are almost in a way kind of set back instead of moving forward. And I wonder if, do you you think that's like an intentional thing from Charles here? Because, you know, the robes, they look exactly like, you know, what Obi-Wan, you know, and Qui-Gon would wear. And I wonder, do you think that is kind of a nod to how the Jedi in the future are in a way kind of stuck in the past? Something Arthur and I have discussed that doesn't really give away anything that happens in the books. Well, like, we're thinking like phase four by that point. Something terrible, terribly wrong happens with the Jedi Order and Yoda's like, oh, crap, you know, we made all these changes, but they didn't work. We're going to go back to how it was like when I was a Padawan and he's not going to go forward anymore. That's why there isn't like, because things are a little bit more progressive in this 
Jedi Order, at least at this point. You'll see more of that. But yeah, I think it's like, it's going to scare him and the others. And they're going to go back. And so, yeah. And that's another reason why the Jedi Order will fall in the prequels. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And definitely everything they've set up in previous comics, I think, is very, very intentional. Definitely. It it stood out because I'm like, wait, what? Hooded robes? Like, that's something that we already know, but... That's a very, uh, Candace, I love that point that, you know, kind of in the fear of what what might go on kind of closer to the Skywalker saga timeline, if like the fear of, of that might, you know, kind of sometimes when in doubt or when one is afraid, you kind of go back to what you're most comfortable with or like, yeah, you know, you go back to what worked. you know. Yes. And, when you know. Really, you have to adapt with the times changing and there's like, something in like revenge of the sith novelization Yoda's like all this is my fault we didn't move we didn't change things or something like that when he's like talking to obi-wan while padme's dying giving birth he's like it's like oops sorry guys <laughs> my bad i'm gonna go to dagobah bye yeah. i'm just gonna peace out really quick and just like, yeah, bring, have fun. send one of the kids to me <laughs> in a couple years i'll figure it out he wanted the girl though <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do think that yoda did get uh he did get better i think i think rebels yoda is where i started to vibe with him more i think prequel like a uh, prequel trilogy yoda was like ah come there dude i don't know i don't know if your decisions are lit um <laughs> but <laughs> uh but you know as we have hinted at or you know, said uh, Loden force pushes Bell off the edge before Bell could protest, which is very Loden of him to do. I I love that. Just you know, he needs him to do this and is not uh, in the mood for any kind of any kind of uh, back talk. This can see Anakin doing that to Soka. Yeah. <laughs> can see Qui Gon doing that to Obi Wan. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities. I I think I gravitate towards that style of of Jedi mastery like uh, I think I gravitate towards that I think it's just it's very fun to read but then also it's uh I don't know I think because Qui-Gon is uh probably my favorite Jedi uh so far you know I'm yet to learn more about the High Republic Jedi to make uh, an informed opinion about them but I think I I do like that style so I think if I if I did have to pick a Jedi who I would kind of uh you know if I were to pick a Jedi who I could, who I would have a drink with, it would be Loden Greatstorm. So far, so far. <laughs> this chapter does have some like kind of back and forth between the outpost and then this family uh, who is being hunted by the Nihil. Uh, so we're taken to uh, Ogden's Hope, which is a, a large town kind of away from the Jedi outpost. And this scene, it was very short, kind of just setting up what is to come. Basically, the mother, Erica, is looking up from repairing a droid, and there's this cloud that is moving towards them. And I'm just like, I wrote in my notes, like, the Nihil question mark, and then pretty much just like, yup, the Nihil. Uh, it is it is them, they're showing up, uh, and they are all, the family is running to their house. Um, and we cut back to Bell when he's falling. You know, Candace, you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of all the thoughts that are going through his head when when he is falling. I loved, uh, you know, that even though he knows that Loden believes in him, quote, uh, he thought the Jedi Council would frown on inadvertent Padawan murder. And I just, I, I love Bell's sense of humor, even when he's plummeting to his death. <laughs> and you get a lot of that throughout the rest of the book, too. <laughs> it's just, I, you know, even when, even when he's like, 
about to die. He still has those little quips and stuff. And I just, uh, I think Loaded and Bell, the pair of them just like work so their personalities work so well for for me as a as a reader. It's just like you know, like Yoda pair them because they're like, oh, they're gonna tick each other off. <laughs> they're gonna test each other. Wonder where I've seen that formula before, master and apprentice. <laughs> you know, I thought it was interesting how he's you know he's thinking of the steps you know of how to use the force to break his fall. He knows what to do, so it's not a matter of him actually of learning the method of the force to use to stop his fall, but, quote, he knew the real challenge here was not the mastery of the force, but mastery of fear. Always the Jedi's greatest test. And I love that, where, you know, he doesn't overcome his fear here. You know, I think his fellow Jedi, Indira Stokes, like, breaks his fall, catches him, but I like how, you know, in in a lot of ways, Bell is still naive about the galaxy, He's still young, he's still learning, but he's he's able to recognize the obstacle in his path and to acknowledge that he's not ready yet to push past that fear. I thought that was a really, it was a, I, I thought it was a great moment from Bel Zedifar, like recognizing that he needs to face his fear and conquer his fear. It was a very mature moment from him. Yeah, I love that his fall gets stopped, but he still hits the ground hard. Yeah. It's like you couldn't put him down gently. Nope. <laughs> nope. Gotta teach that boy a lesson. It's a great way to endear us to Bell. He has been nothing if not endearing so far. It's uh I I really love the relatability. These are the two that I got attached to in Light of the Jedi. These are the two that I felt like a because like I always like get attached to characters and I or at least try to, especially when there's like books like this with so many characters. They were my like through line through the books. It was like yeah, I think in part one, you know, a lot of the focus was on Avar Chris, but I think the two Jedi that I that I enjoyed reading about the most in those chapters were Bell and Loden, and that seems to be, you know, continuing here. Uh, you know, I think we did get a chapter of uh, Elzarman and uh, Avar in, I think, chapter 20, but I think as far as the duo that I prefer to read about and just enjoy their interactions, I think Bell and Loden are definitely uh, definitely the, the, the pair that's kind of checking that box for me, too. So I'm 100% with you right there. We find out that Indira is a Thilothian, and we get introduced to her charhound, Ember, and after reading that description of uh, of Indira and Ember, I realize that they're on the front of my book, you know, the, the uh, special edition or whatnot, you know, it's, it's them just like right on the front, and, you know... I thought it was really fun to get uh, introduced to a space doggo here. Uh, I already love Ember and want to give Ember all of the belly rubs, even though I don't know if that would hurt <laughs> because of fire, but... Ember's the best. <laughs> there, Ember can do nothing wrong, is the best doggo, and yeah, big fans of Ember. Like, like If you are to pick between Markeon Rowe and Ember, Ember. which one? <laughs> Ember! Ember! <laughs> Maggie, shut your mouth. Bucky's listening. to a vote. <laughs> Come here and make me. Bucky's going to come be like, too. what do you say about dogs? <laughs> He's listening. He's listening to Maggie's dog hate. Yeah. Yeah. None of that here, Maggie. I'm sorry. This is a, this is a space doggo loving podcast. <laughs> this is a pro Ember podcast. <laughs> we stand Ember. <laughs> yeah. But what I loved about hearing was like Jedi retire. Yes. Like, you know, I was like, what? I thought they just like died on the council and that was it. Because yeah. I didn't think die on the council. Yeah, 
But you know, I guess as as we find out uh, a little bit a little bit later with uh, what, what was his name Porter? Yeah, Porter. Uh, that Jedi do have retirement options. <laughs> it is. I, I love to all think these about. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Obi Wan Kenobi retired to Tatooine. He was still working, Maggie. It's kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't Debatable. retired. We'll find he was let go. <laughs> Oh, that's true. He didn't no, get a severance pay. Well, no, no Anakin nothing. got the severance. Oh. Uh... <laughs> you know, we we had uh, mentioned some kind of Qui-Gon Obi-Wan vibes here where, you know, Bell, in a way, started to doubt himself and Loden's belief in him when Indira says that Loden had asked her to break his fall. So Bell knew that you know, or at least he perceives, you know, if there's something I learned from Master and Apprentice, it's like Obi-Wan's perceptions about what Qui-Gon thinks about him are not always right. You know, it's like communication is key. But Bell here is thinking that, quote, Loden knew he'd fail from the beginning. And, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of kind of younger, you know, young Juan Kenobi thinking that, you know, oh, my master doesn't think that I'm worthy or good enough. And it's, I, I like that parallel here. It's like easier for me to process as a, as a reader and what's familiar, but it's just really cool seeing that. And also unfortunate because I want them to succeed as a duo, but it seems that there's this disconnect here between who Bell sees himself as, as a Padawan compared to what his master expects of him. And, you know, yeah, I really got some kind of Qui-Gon Obi-Wan vibes from from kind of that, that lack of belief in himself and also lack of belief in his master believing in him, if that, if that makes also, any sense. Yeah, it's also very relatable, too, because even though we are not Jedi, obviously, even though we wish we were, well, Maggie doesn't. I wish Maybe. I was a Sith. I, I corrected myself, Maggie. I corrected myself. But, like... We've all been in like mentor mentee relationships and we've all had that doubt and we've all wondered if we weren't good enough or compared ourselves or thought like especially while we were teenagers during that awkward time because you're like I'll always have to remember like not only are you a Jedi in training but you were also going through puberty and all that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so like just remembering middle school angst. Plus, you know, trying to save the galaxy, too, is a hot mess. Combine that with, I mean, if I was, if middle school Andrew was thrown off a cliff um, and also had the weight of, you know, the being one of the top, you know, peacekeeping orders in the the galaxy, it's a lot. I would have peaced out a long time ago to Dagobah, so. (laughs) I would need, like, 10 emotional support embers. Yeah. (laughs) Now we we do get cut back to uh, the family, Erica... Otto and their kids, uh, they are holed up in their house. It's kind of like on lockdown mode, the, playing as a safe house. And Otto is using a thermal lens to kind of see what's going on outside. And their son, Ron, is trying to kind of call for help on a comm link. And the Nihil start using like a battering ram to get inside the door because I guess they don't want to blow it up because they are trying to take the family alive. So it makes sense they wouldn't want to risk kind of uh, any unnecessary death or, or or damage and i love here 
you know, we've we've kind of seen non-Jedi people go like full, you know, badass mode or like at least cool mode with Joss Adrin, you know, back in the uh, in the Hetzal system where Erica goes like full badass mode and just remote controls like four of their huge industrial droids and like shoots them at the Nile. And, you know, one of them is able to just blow up their speeder in like a collision and like kill a few of them. And I just, like, wrote in my notes, just like, hell yeah, Erica. Like, we like seeing this ingenuity. And I think her husband, Otto, was just like, I don't know how she does it, but uh, she's amazing. And I was just like, yes, Erica is incredible. That was just an awesome sequence to read. Yeah, it's good to see, like, it's not just about the Jedi, like, fighting back. So often it is the solutions of the Jedi, but I like so far in this book, you know, Charles is kind of spreading the love, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah, some volunteers from the Republic were able to also save the day. And here Erica is able to, you know, uh, just go for some prime badassery, which was which was great. Unfortunately, Ron did get into contact with the local security but once they heard the Nihil they were like uh nope sorry uh it'll take so long to get there oh hard luck you know good you know have fun uh and so they're pretty much you know on their own and it cuts again to the Jedi outpost where you know you had mentioned Jedi retirement because we are introduced to Porter Angle uh, you know, he seems very great. He's been with the Order for like 300 years and, quote, at this point was more beard than being. And he had chosen to retire to this outpost and cook for the rest of his uh, service, which I just love everything about Porter Engel. Yeah, the fact that he still kind of wanted to work, but like not quite. Yeah, because so they said awesome. like other Jedi would just, you know, go to a planet they liked and just like, I don't know, join a community or something and play for shuffleboard i don't know but like <laughs> he's at a port like still doing some jedi stuff you know this yeah, what did he what did he cook here like a nine egg scramble where they only know like what five of the eggs are but i just <laughs> have tell I, people why won't you tell people <laughs> i don't know if i want to know but what i do want to know is would you both have the nine egg scrambles too yeah, I'll try yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me what's in it. I'll try With it. With the mystery <laughs> eggs. <laughs> I would try I mean, Belle loves it, and apparently so does Ember, because Belle, uh, you know, gives her scraps every now and then, which I'm thinking, like, all good people should give the dogs uh, food as well. Uh, and so apparently it is very tasty. You know, they uh, they do talk a little bit about... Actually, no, before I talk about that, um, I also have to bring up, that Ember is rescue, you know, that she turned up to the outpost one day with an infected wound and the Jedi like nursed her back to health and now she's part of the team and it's like that's an excuse because so they much. can like have an attachment. <laughs> yeah, like... they're like, yeah, Belle's thinking about it and would be like, well, we can't have attachments, but like they figured a workaround. She's part of the team. <laughs> the Jedi getting so like, clever. Did she have like a Jedi like ID card or something? Like. <laughs> Ember, I wonder, Jedi yeah, can, can she swipe into the outpost, you know, on her own, you know? <laughs> can she, does she have access to the archives? Does she? <laughs> Was she granted the rank of master? Yeah, she, she got it before Anakin. <laughs> Sorry, Anakin, the fire dogs get master, but you don't. <laughs> 
Uh, I just, I, I love that Ember's a rescue, and that is very wholesome, and I love all of them for, like, playing a part where I think, you know, Indira, like, you know, healed her, and I think Belle named her, and uh, I for, I don't have the page in front of me, but, like, each of them played a part to to bring her back to health, so. Loden figured out the workaround, which is just, yes. like, Loden. Loden's <laughs> like, we can keep her. That's a very Qui-Gon Jen in, like, my mind, is, like, working around the system, not, like going against it just you know doing a little tiptoeing kind of like uh you know when Loden is is falling he doesn't go like against the current he like glides with it in his own way you know and so he kind of glides with the rules and uses them uh in ways that you know in ways that work you know he's not doing anything wrong but it works so (laughs) as the chapter kind of draws to a close they do briefly talk about the starlight beacon and how there are more on the way Uh, I don't know if I've already made the joke of you know 200,000 beacons ready and millions more on the way um and they're about to leave on different tasks when they hear a transmission coming in and someone's letting them know that the family who we find out are the Blythes are in trouble with the Nihil and they ask if the Jedi can help and I'll just read the the ending here and open the floor to any of your thoughts uh, where Indira says the Nihil. The family, Porter Engel said, his voice had gone very cold. Perhaps for the first time, Bell looked at the man and no longer saw the joking bearded Ikruki chef he knew so well, inventor of the nine-egg stew. Instead, he saw the Jedi they once called the Blade of Bardada. Let's go, Loden said. Uh, that's just a legit ending. I just... <laughs> yeah, I just love, like, Loden's just like, we're going, like, like out, you know? I love it. <laughs> uh, have both of you, or are both of you familiar with uh, The Witcher at all? Very, it's very familiar Henry Cavill. Witcher, so. Oh, yeah, no, it's Henry, yeah, exa- yeah, Henry Cavill. It's, that, it's that Martian Rowe it away. in it. It's Henry yeah. Cavill <laughs> looking the closest to how I picture Martian Rowe looking with, like, black eyes I, and I, stuff. I can subscribe to that. I just... I thought of uh, where uh, Porter was, you know, he had been called the Blade of Bardada, and I, th- I thought of kind of the, the alliteration reminding me of, like, the, the Butcher of Blaviken. I was like, got some Witcher vibes there. So maybe we will see Porter Engel kind of uh, bring back the glory days of his lightsaber skills and deal with the Nihil. But that brings Chapter 22 to a close. That brings this episode to a close. Maggie and Candace, how are you both feeling about these chapters? Feeling good. I, I, I just, I love Loden and Belle. And Ember, of course. Like, I was living the Nihil stuff mostly to Maggie, because it was like, that's your thing. But like, this was my jam. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed these two chapters. I was really glad that I got to talk about Chapter 21 because that has Marcian's introduction. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like these chapters is like where it really picks up for me personally, at least. Like that's I agree. also why Maggie like chose these. I I do love like being able to find out more about like who the people on like the other side are, you know, especially through the eyes of Marcian who is seems like he's more level-headed than you know, the other Tempest Runners, and so it's kind of like the clearer lens of the Nihil through his eyes, which I appreciate. So just and, you know, <laughs> a little less crazy? It's a little, le- a little less. Just uh, a little less crazy. <laughs> we'll see. I, I, I don't know. He, he seems so just kind of like cold and calculating, and, I, and I, I know that there will be like some ruthlessness to him, maybe especially if he finds out who murdered his dad, but 
at least now, it just seems like he is kind of leaving the show to them and kind of doing his own thing in, in the kind of behind the scenes. But definitely a lot of setup for moving forward. And then also the showdown that's going to happen at the at the outpost or at least on, on Alfrona. But, uh, you know, this, these have been two great chapters to talk about. I love the introduction to Markian. Definitely have a lot of questions about him. You know, I, I want, uh, and now I also want to see Ember in battle. But um, Maggie and Candice, thank you so much for talking about these chapters. If the listeners wanted to find you both on the social media or, you know, your work online, could you tell them where they could do so and talk a little bit about what you do? You can find me at Candice is the Geek on Twitter. You can find all our social media for The Geeky Waffle at thegeekywaffle.com and check out all our shows, including a show hosted by Maggie, which is Starbucks Lovers, a it's Taylor Swift podcast. Segway. This is very, very <laughs> true. Uh, if anyone would like to follow me, I am Maggie of the town on Twitter. The link tree in my bio to all of my various pursuits, which is quite long during the week. I am the managing editor of entertainment over at Your Money Geek. And on the weekends, I'm a weekend news editor, Collider. I write all over the place and have various other pursuits for writing that I do. I also have my YouTube channel, Let's Talk About Star Wars. I'm on the Outer Rim Beacon, on Starbucks Lovers, on Petticoats and Poppies. I am everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> I am keeping busy. Listeners, I will post links to Candace and Maggie's work in the episode description. Thank you both so much again for talking about these chapters. This was a blast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Before we close out today, I'll give our next Search Your Readings discussion question. We see a clear distinction between Markion Rowe's methods and those of the Tempest Runners. Do you think Markion will settle for controlling operations from the background, or do you think his search for the truth as to who killed his father will lead him to make a move for more power with the Nihil? I'll post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comment and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhot, is hosted by Andrew Gayhot, is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Gayhot as well as Simon Von Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 49 in 2022. So until then, sit back and enjoy. This has been a wild, wild ride. So I'm just going to have a nice bowl of this famed nine egg stew.